Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everybody. This is Aurora and Kristen with Barely Filtered. And today we have on one of my very greatest friends. She happens to be my jujitsu guru. She's mad at me because I never come to class. Her name is Cecilina Gracie, and she is a female empowerment entrepreneur, speaker, and TV host. You might recognize her last name as her grandfather is the man who disseminated jujitsu throughout the world. She was the official host of the Rio 2016 Olympic Games and spent five years writing and producing for some of the most prestigious shows for the UFC. Most recently, Cecilina climbed to the summit of Mount Everest, making her the eighth Brazilian woman to ever reach the peak of the world's highest mountain and the first woman to reach the summit having never climbed a mountain before. And guys, she is not ready to stop there. This girl is going to the top and I'm going to ride on her back the whole way. <laughs> I'm so stoked to meet you. Like that that's girl power right there. No, I know. Cecilina is like literally when I met her. So I was introduced to Cecilina because my sister's fiance, Christian, obviously he's an elite athlete himself. He was like, you should go see Cecilina because I was going through my divorce. And I was like, I need some empowerment. And I met her and I was like, I just want to be. I, I, it was so funny because I like literally put my claws in. And I was like, "Do you want to be best friends? Do you want to <laughs> hang out every day?" Well, Cecilia, <laughs> can you give our listeners who might not be familiar with Jujitsu or, or Gracie and your incredible name? Can you give them like a quick backstory of what this is and the importance of it? Absolutely. So I work with women only now with Jujitsu because it's a tool for that is totally based in leverage. So it's the best martial arts for us. But my grandfather was the first Brazilian to be exposed to the original Japanese jiu-jitsu in Brazil. And then it completely changed his life. He was a very troubled kid. He had ADHD and, you know, suffered with depression and self-esteem and all of those things. And when he encountered this art, he realized that he had an inner strength that nobody has ever shown him and that he had never discovered. So he made it, you know, his life's purpose to spread this art throughout the world and the thing is that in the beginning, the way to make jiu-jitsu popular was to do challenges with other martial arts with the purpose of showing this is amazing. Look, we don't need to disfigure someone's face or, mm-hmm. you know, completely hurt them in order to be dominant in a situation. You can use leverage. The weaker person has an opportunity to come out victorious against a much bigger opponent, which in no other martial art is possible. Mm-hmm. You can get Mayweather against Mike Tyson and Mayweather is undefeated but he won't have a chance against such a powerful yeah. opponent. So that's sort of what made a statement of how jiu-jitsu was special for everyone and how it was accessible for everyone. 
but it is an art that develops inner strength more than your physical ability. And the interesting thing is that there's a lot of misconception that thinks, oh, jiu-jitsu is about the physical skills. You're going to learn how to choke somebody out or you're going to learn how to do an arm bar. But it's really the inner tools that you develop that reshape your life. And the principles of jiu-jitsu, they are applied in every situation in our lives. And, and what are those principles? Like, what are the values of jiu-jitsu? So first, you experience every, the whole realm of emotions when you're on the mats because you experience frustration, you experience joy, you experience pride. And at the same time, you're discovering the sides of your personality that need further development. Do you refuse to lose? Or are you usually unmotivated? What kind of self-talk do you usually carry with yourself? And when you're on the mats, all of those things come to surface. Because if you're always telling yourself that you're not good enough, then before you even begin a class, or as soon as you find yourself in a disadvantageous position, then you're immediately thinking, oh, you see, I can't do anything right. But then you get out of it. And then you're showing yourself, oh, wait a second. I actually, I have a chance in this thing. And then when you leave and you go into the real world outside the mats, that starts reshaping even your view of yourself, which yeah. is really interesting. That's one of the things that I loved. I'm a student of Cecilina's in the jujitsu world. And I thought I was going to go there and like learn how to beat people up, which I was pretty excited about. But then I quickly learned that it was actually kind of more like therapy. And just... One of the things that I loved that you share in jujitsu as a principle is, is whoever controls the distance controls the damage or like or make sure mm. you're closing the, the gap like on your terms. And I love that principle because it's just like physically when when you're what do you call it sparring with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like in your relationships, it's like you have to be aware of like your boundaries and the distances that you're creating. So like how do you find that that you're using jujitsu not just on the map, but outside? I love that example that you gave because this principle, for example, that whoever controls the distance controls the damage means that you're also either all in or you're all out. That's the only way for you to be safe in a physical interaction. Because, like a life motto too. You're yeah. in or you're out. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're in the middle ground, that's where you get hit. That's where the powerful punch can kick. That's mm. where the powerful kick can knock you out. So you either completely close the distance and you create connections so you can apply leverage or you have to be all out because if the person can get to you, then they can't hurt you. And it's the same in every relationship. Yeah. It's a life motto for sure, because either you're all in with the people in your life and you're going through thick and thin and you're going to make it work or you're all out. There shouldn't be any space for them. And if you control the emotional space that people can get and you know where to place them, then if they can get to you emotionally, they can't hurt you. It's Ooh, not about amen. what they see. Totally. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true, too, when you think about it. Like, we want to try to please everybody, but n none of us can be can make everybody happy all the time. So when you try to, like, you know, kind of please this person, kind of please this person, spread yourself so thin, you're, like, really not pleasing anybody. And most importantly, you're displeasing yourself. Yeah. I feel like I still have Cecily in my head. Like, even with like in, like, my dating life, I told you some guy didn't call. He said he was going to call me and he didn't call me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just nip this in the bud right away because this is like we're either all in or we're all out. I'm like, hey, like saying this with so much love and kindness and like warm, fuzzy feelings. But you can't tell me you're going to call me and not call me because then it makes me not trust your word. And so like I like and I'm like, am I being overbearing? But it, like it's it's that principle of like you're all in or you're all out. And like if, if someone's not going to match you on that, then you got to yeah. walk away. Yeah. I have a question. I, I've heard Joe Rogan, Jocko, so many people say there's one thing in life you can do, you know, besides eat healthy, see the sun, drink water, all the things is learn jujitsu. And I also hear it's a huge skill for jiu jitsu. Jiu jitsu. Did I say that right? Yeah. Jiu jitsu. But you said jujitsu. <laughs> I always oh, jujitsu. Yeah. Jujitsu. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. So they always recommend that's that's what you need to learn above anything else. Why is that? Why is that the most important skill to learn? Because that's going to give you an inner strength that I personally haven't found anything else in life mm-hmm. that has, you know, the ability to do that. The self-development that jiu-jitsu brings is something that, like Aurora said, it's therapy mixed with physical empowerment, mixed with your ability to think strategically. So what jiu-jitsu really is, we call it human chess. And for me, it's something that I found that strengthens me in my mind, in my heart, and in my body. So if you can find an activity that is helping you develop emotionally, which is so important, you need to develop emotional strength, emotional intelligence. You need to develop physical strength because if you don't know what you're capable of physically, if you're not able to carry yourself, it affects your energy levels. It affects how you even see yourself, your capabilities. It's important. Like this is your vessel. It should be strong. And it's not about how you look. It's about how you feel and how much time you invest in your body because that is going to reflect on your thinking abilities. That's going to reflect in your confidence in everything surrounding your life. And then You need to develop mental skills, mental ability, mental toughness. And jiu-jitsu also brings that. So you're put in so many different scenarios that you are forced in a way to exercise those three pillars. And most of the time, when we look for an activity, that activity focuses on one pillar specifically. Mm -hmm. You go to therapy, you're exercising your emotional strength. You go to yoga, you're exercising a little bit more of your physical There's not so much emotional. There's not a lot of connection. It's an individual practice. In jiu-jitsu, there's always connection. You're Mm. always training with somebody else. So all of those aspects, they end up fulfilling so many holes that we have in life simultaneously. Yeah. I also, I was thinking before, I was like, well, yoga is that for me. Like I got my spiritual, my physical and my emotional all there. But it is true that one of the things in jiu-jitsu that I felt uncomfortable with was like that first exercise where you're like, use your voice and you're like, she made me be like, step back. I'm uncomfortable with this. And she's like, and I'm like, you know, like we don't want to use our voice very mm-hmm. often, especially when we feel threatened or taken off guard or like a little in shock. Like uh, one of the first things to shut down is our ability to articulate our needs. Right. And we care so much about being polite. Mm-hmm. OK, guys, taking a quick minute to tell you about one of my new favorite supplements called green fat. Green fat is a brand new supplement formulated to support the aging process, not fight it. They're the anti-anti-aging, as they call it, or pro-aging. Aging is inevitable, so it's really important that we get our healthy fats. And so beyond just the power of plant fats and less inflammation, enhanced fat loss, greater gains, all the things that we love, I'm actually someone who suffers heavily from that time of the month and all the PMS symptoms. So I've tried it all. Heating fat is the only thing that works for me. So I'm really leaning into supplements. And green fat is my new daily essential fat supplement. And it's packed with plant-sourced essential fats from nine nutritious foods. And their women's pro-aging formula also contains plant-powered ingredients such as evening primrose oil. So evening primrose oil is made up of approximately 70% of the omega-6 essential fatty acids and known to relieve PMS symptoms. So I'm stoked about this. Green fat is entirely vegan and gluten-free. So not only am I getting my daily dose of those healthy fats to help with the aging process, but I'm proactively supporting my hormone health, which as women we know is so crucial. Green fat also offers money back guaranteed with free shipping. I mean, they will refund every penny you paid if you don't feel a difference after taking it for two weeks. So if you want to try green fat totally risk-free, just use the code barelyfiltered for 20% off. 
Get yours at greenfat.com and please reach out with a review after trying. I would love to hear if you are a fan as well. Hi, everyone. I'm Peyton Sarton, host of the Note to Self podcast. Note to Self is a space to embrace your unique qualities, get grounded, and ultimately have honest conversation. No topic is off limits. I began doing social media seven years ago, and since then, I've started a clothing line and this podcast. Note to Self is a place where people from every stage of life can come for advice, new perspectives, and to feel a little less alone. Whether I'm recording by myself or bringing along a friend, we will explore topics ranging from relationships and mental wellness to social media and entrepreneurship. Tune in to Note to Self every week for the sisterly advice you didn't know you needed and raw conversations you've always wanted. Most of the problems we go through in life, even if we get into the statistics on female aggression, on sexual harassment, and on rape ratios that are huge that we still face and nobody talks about, most of them could have been avoided if women knew how to take the posture of the champion, a powerful stance, and use their voice. You know, yeah. my friend was in London right now at a concert, and she was walking, and she saw this guy standing on top of this woman, and she couldn't really tell what was the dynamic. She couldn't tell if they knew each other or... But her energy, her intuition was like, this is weird. It doesn't seem like this woman enjoys what he's doing. And they kept walking, and then suddenly he was next to her and saying, you know, horrible things. And before he even got into a distance that would be uncomfortable, she immediately took a step back and she said, get away from me. Yeah. And if you don't say that, then he follows you into your car mm -hmm. and then you're uncomfortable to say something. And that's just culturally something that it's a paradigm that we need to break because women prioritize other people's comforts and politeness instead of feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And it's wild to think that we refrain from speaking up because we're afraid that they're going to be uncomfortable with our comment. But the reason why we want to make that comment is because that person is making us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a question on that note, too, because interesting enough, I just saw this reel and it was a kid being bullied in school. He was a scrawny, you know, probably 14 year old and this big, massive kid, older kid. And, and this was a school fight, tried to beat him up. And within seconds, he knew Jesus jujitsu and <laughs> he took him down this kid had a hundred pounds on on the so-called quote-unquote nerd that was being bullied and he took this guy who was massive down so with women i think we often feel when we're uncomfortable aside from our voice which can you know diffuse a lot of situations like you said we are uh, physically men are stronger that's just a fact i if you want to go in the comments by all means Men Not are Selena. Yeah. Look yes. at a six foot Amazonian <laughs> princess <Seriously>. over here. <laughs> but we hear jujitsu is, is actually a weapon in our toolbox in these situations. So what can you tell or encourage women? Like, is this a tool for us to learn to protect ourselves? You know, there's that, you know, there's you can buy a gun. It seems like that's the only thing. You know, is this something that we can have in our toolbox to protect ourselves? I love what you said. And I'm going to give you two answers for that one. Absolutely. It's the best tool you have. First of all, I have some students that sometimes they're going on a hike or on a trip or something and they just started. So they're learning the principles of jujitsu. They've been training for a month and then they come and tell me, oh, I'm going to bring a knife with me or, you mm -hmm. know, I sleep with like a taser yeah. under my bed. And I said, OK, great. Are you ready to use that knife? Do you know how to use it? Because otherwise you have something that can easily be taken away from you and now it can be used against you. Mm -hmm. And what if you lose it? What if you don't have it? We have the tendency of constantly relying on things outside of ourselves to make us safe. And jujitsu is the one thing that you will carry with you everywhere you go because you're using your body. You're using what you have. And that psychologically already sends you the message, I'm safe because everything I, I need 
I got it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to change how you present yourself into the world because your confidence is living in you. It's not living in an extension of you. Mm. So that is the first thing just for us to start considering why is jujitsu more important than learning how to a use a knife yeah. or a weapon? Do I know how to shoot guns? Absolutely. I practice that. I think it's important that we gather as many skills as we can. And do I know how to use a knife? I know how to use a knife. I know how to hold the knife mm-hmm. in a way that it's not going to be taken away from me, that it's not going to cut me. I know how to fake to go somewhere. I know the places that you have to go. So you have to stop <laughs> Don't that. Don't this bitch. <laughs> is there, is there a knife here? <laughs> yeah. I love it. You have to learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, you have to train your nervous system yep. to respond in situations of stress because that's what fails. That's what shuts us down. And then you're going to have the knife and you're going to be shaking shaking and you're frozen Mm -hmm. and the other person is going to feel that. Yeah. And then the other answer I'll give you is people look for the path of least resistance. We are all animals that are reading each other all the time. And before our brains process what we're reading and the signs we're reading in order to make sense for us to verbalize it, we're already feeling it. Mm -hmm. And that's what people will call your gut feeling or your intuition and trust your intuition or not. The thing is, Body language is the greatest thing that our species, you know, has not created, but that it exists within us. And what we do is the human species is the only species that tries to judge or justify their instincts. It's what you're reading. Animals don't do that. Mm -hmm. If animals feel scared, they immediately respond to that threat and they get ready or they we judge ourselves, especially women. You're walking on the streets. You you have a bad feeling regarding the person that's about to cross you. But then you think, oh, am I doing that because they're black? Or am I doing that because they're homeless? Or am I mm-hmm. doing... It doesn't matter. Cross the street, mm-hmm. right? Follow your intuition. Mm-hmm. And you can be on a first date with somebody and all of the signs are telling you this guy is a scam artist or there's something about it. And like you don't even know why, but then you find out he's married mm-hmm. or... Trust that because you're reading a lot of signs that your brain can't even make sense of it yet, but you know what's happening. But in order for you to do that, you need to have a nervous system that's strong enough for you to be present. Because if you're stressed out, if your adrenaline is high, then you're already thinking about being safe and you're not trusting your judgment anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do so much in the program. And it's funny that Aurora mentioned that the verbal part was the most difficult. I kid you not, it is for every single woman that walks in. And I'm like, this is not even the warm up and you're sweating. Yeah. It's emotional. It's like, what I have to speak up? Yes. You have to train yeah. your nervous system to feel safe to speak up here. We're amongst friends and women in the space that everybody goes through the same thing. Well, yeah. it's, it's as small as most women are scared to send the wine back if it tastes like shit. Like they're scared to even voice up well, for a glass I, of wine. I think women kind of, we are self-conscious of coming across as like naggy or a, bitch, a bitch or yeah. like overreacting. Mm-hmm. You know, women are always put in this box of like, oh, there can't be a female president because like the hormones and they're batshit crazy. And, and so I just think like hearing your own voice say like, step back, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Like, like what if that man really was just like going to like pick up his dog's poop or something mm-hmm. and then you like feel embarrassed. It's like you have to be willing to maybe feel a little embarrassed because it's, that's better than being in a dangerous situation. 100%. And I have a strategy for that too. Question then, let's play a game. How can you tell if someone is good or bad intention? Because that holds women back. They don't want to mistreat someone or be unfair and then be called a bitch or saying, oh, I was just going to ask you a question or whatever. So you're at the gas station, you're pumping gas in your car. 
a guy is walking towards you, he's actually well-dressed. You don't think, you know, he's a threat or he's under drugs or anything, but you're not sure. Something's telling you, like, why is this guy walking towards me? And you have all the right in the world to question that. So how can you tell if they're good or bad intentioned? I mean, you can't. Are they wearing right? anything designer? No, just kidding. <laughs> if you were coming to my class, you would know that answer. <laughs> I know. Wait, if they have good or bad intentions, you, their body you can't. You can't? Oh, I know, I know, feeling? I know, I know. Eye contact. Okay, all of those things are great, but it's using your voice. So yes, you're trying to read the body language, trying to make eye contact, but you can't tell. You don't want to wait for that person to get to your car to show you what their intention is. Mm-hmm. You don't want to wait for them to get to your car to, for you to see if they were going to ask for money or if they were going to ask you out or if they were going to ask you a question, mm-hmm. you know? So you engage first. So you're just like, uh, hey, I, I, uh, how's it going? So, well, you know, somebody's <laughs> walking towards you yeah. and no matter where you are, you just look at them and say, hi, can I help you? And you can have a smile on your face. Yes. By their response, you're immediately going to know. Because as they're coming, he's going to tell you, oh, yes, I was looking for an ATM. I couldn't find it inside the store. And then you'll know. Or if they don't answer and they keep coming, you already know. Hi, sir. I'm talking. You already know yep. you need to step up. Hi, sir. I'm talking to you. Can I help you? Excuse me. You're coming in my space. And then you can say step back. And then now, you know, do I get in my car? Do I go in the convenience store? Because everything is, you know, sunshine until it's midnight and yeah. you had a long day and, and you don't know what to do because what you don't want is to freeze. You mm-hmm. don't want to question yourself. You don't want to hesitate. And that is a principle that we work in jujitsu that you can use everywhere. You start setting the dynamics in your relationships. Yeah. And don't be afraid to engage first. Yeah, my gut says that because I, I come from San Diego and I'm in L.A. and it's a little different here on the streets <laughs> in Hollywood. And even today, like there was a couple homeless guys. I'm like, I don't you just don't know in their mental state what could happen. It's just a fact, guys. And I my gut go, go funny to your gut, my gut feeling comment. My gut always says I make eye contact. I open my body space to them and my shoulders. So my back is never turned. And I always engage first. I always say, because what's the worst going to happen? I said, good morning to someone. But like you said, then you can see their response or do they ignore you? They walk away. It's fine. Otherwise, it's like, okay, they're getting creepy. Thank God I'm open. Thank God I have my keys or my phone or knife or whatever, or your skills of jujitsu. So, but but I like that you said that it is a tool. It is a weapon, but you have to have control of it. And what's nice, and I have no doubts that you can easily take a man, right? You can take a man. Depends like, on his skills. Yeah, I don't she's know. like, how I, I think, is he? I think no, her, brother, like, her brother's like a black belt. Yeah, and I don't think you could. T- can you take him? I feel like I, ha- I have good days and bad days yeah, when we yeah, train yeah. together. Not all men have this skill. You know, no, most men just have their strength. So well, if you have this skill, you have a chance. Yeah. Well, my answer to you will be, it's not a matter of can I beat them up? Yes, protect like, myself. M- most of the times I will be able to get in a. Can you get away? But. Can they rape me? Can Mm -hmm. they pin me against the wall? Can they hold me down? Can they make me do something I don't want to do? Absolutely not. I'll get out every time. And we train in in days that I get bruised from like my uncles and my cousins like dragging me and we're training technique. (laughs) And it's like, really don't let her go. And I have to get out. And it works every time. And the more you train, obviously, the more proficient you become. But the question is not like, can women train to beat up men? Yeah, I train with a lot of guys. I submit guys in the gym all the time. I also get submitted sometimes, you know, it's, it's part of the drill. But the, the thing is, have I ever been sexually assaulted? No. Have I been in situations that I almost was? Yes. Did I know what to do? Yes. So I am the product of a set of tools that was given to me that 
was lucky enough to navigate this world having these tools since I was a kid. When I moved to London, I was 17 years old when I left Brazil. And that was such a pivotal moment in my life because I didn't put on a gi for four years. And I was a little bit of a rebel in terms That's of... That's the outfit you wear when mm-hmm. you when you practice jujitsu. Yeah, we wear a gi. And, you know, I was born into this family. I've been training jujitsu my whole life. I was competing since I was six. And when I moved to London, I was like... Who am I without the Gracie last name? Who am I without jiu-jitsu? And, you know, I had an on and off relationship with it because I was forced to train and forced to compete. And so I decided to take time off and I didn't want anything to do with it. And for four years, I didn't put on a gi. And that is when I used jujitsu the most in my life. Wow. Yeah. One of the things that I love, because Cecily is a personal friend of mine, and, and I'm telling you, we'll be out like at a bar. And by the way, she doesn't drink because she's like, she really carries these principles through every state. Like this does it's not like she leaves work, hangs up her gi, and then like jujitsu's off. It's like, we'll be in a situation and this girl's got eyes on everything. She knows if they're, you want to be with her at a bar mm-hmm. because she's, you can relax because you know she's got it. I'm she, fun though. I'm super fun. No, she, <laughs> no, literally she can hang the longest, stay up the latest this girl gets like four hours of sleep at night which is a whole other story she, she's the always one that's awake at like 2 a.m but anyway it's like I, I i admire and i and i and it's so evident that you take these principles that you teach and you walk the walk and you're you're using them in every facet of your life and all of your relationships even the way like you speak to me and you speak and i hear you speak to other people whether they're a three-year-old little girl like my my soleil soleil and cecilina my daughter my favorite my favorite thing was remember soleil was like no and you were like okay i respect that and you were, like my three-year-old told her off and she was like you 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 graduated <laughs> you mentioned london you moved to london and i actually want to use this as a transition to a, a certain prince that you might may or may not know can you <laughs> Oh, that's a good segue. <laughs> Very smooth. Yeah. yeah. What's it, well, we got to talk about this and then we have to get to Mount Everest. But we're going to talk about this one first. Yes. What is on? What's next for you? Are you, do you have any big things coming up and does it involve any special like prints or anything like that? <laughs> yes. Now we can finally talk about yeah. it. But we have a show that is coming out on August 7th and it's called Better Up Elevate. And Prince Harry is, is hosting some of the interviews as well. And I interviewed some. So we met on set. And it's just a spectacular show because it's totally focused on human development. So for me, it was just an extension of what I already do with jujitsu. And the show is going to launch with my episode with Maria Sharapova. Ah, and I remember seeing you guys on Instagram and I was like, who's taller? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> She's way taller. Is she? Yeah. Wow. I was wearing heels and she was still taller. Wow. Yeah. She, she's this like blonde goddess yeah, yeah, as well but it sure. was so interesting because so it was her fir- this is a mom's podcast so <laughs> yeah. it was her first day back to work after motherhood wow and it was so special she cried on the interview we had a really good you know interaction and exchange and deep connection because just even the the comparison between her life as an athlete and then her life as a mom and it was still kind of a yeah. marathon yes and, it you know, is. Yeah. <laughs> Who is your favorite guest on the show? If you can, if you can say. Oh my God. You want me to get fired before season two? Well, I I know that there was a guest on there who inspired you to climb mountains. Is that, is that true? So, yes. So I met Nims at this TV show and he was actually interviewed by Prince Harry. They had both been to Afghanistan. They had a lot of mutual ground, but we were all recording together that day and we met on set and the first invitation was actually to go skydiving. And I had never been. So I was like, oh, sure. You know, and 
we filmed a part of that jump for the intro. And I brought my pink gi and I jumped wearing my jujitsu gi. And it was so funny because everywhere I went on, you know, the facility, people were trying to figure out what was happening. And mm -hmm. then when I jumped, Everyone was like, what's that pink dot in the sky? Yeah. <laughs> this is not normal. Why is your And then they were like, is she wearing a bathrobe? What is it? And then as I was getting closer, they they saw it was actually a martial arts uniform. And it was so funny. They were like, wait, she's a fighter, but she's wearing hot pink and she's coming from she's the jumping sky. Jumping out of the airplane. <laughs> she's she's too much. Yeah. run. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, but on that day, it was interesting because he invited a lot of people on set and I was the only one who showed up. And after the jump... To jump out of the plane? To jump out of oh, the plane. Oh, I remember I texted you that day. I was like, do you want to go to the beach? You're like, I'm jumping out of an airplane. I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, cut you later. Yeah, actually, we did talk <laughs> yeah. that day. I was like, I'm kind of far. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a little busy. <laughs> I don't know how I have to have his signal here. <laughs> and then he looked at me very seriously and he said, I like you. You're committed. Do you want to come to Everest this year? And he invited me to climb a mountain called Lobouché, which is a known mountain for beginners. It's still 6,120 meters. Beginners in high altitude mountaineering, it's a good test to see how your body responds in high altitude and to developing some skills and rope skills. And, and then I, I said, yeah, but Everest was never on my bucket list. You know, I was never that person that had the dream of climbing Everest. And, and that just shows how much the principles of jiu-jitsu have informed every decision that I've made in my life, which is, is this a challenge that I feel like I can take on? Am I committed? Like he said, do I have the persistence? Do I have the ability to put systems in place in order to make this happen and be safe and be successful? And that's how, you know, the whole plan began. But like everything in my life, my first job, as you mentioned on your intro, as an official TV host was the Olympic Games. And I was going live on arenas for 80,000 people. Yeah. It was crazy. And I remember when I had the director calling me like five, four. In my head, I was like, what? Yeah. Are You're they like, crazy? I've been Do they even know who they hired? <laughs> One of the things that I love about your Mount Everest story, too, is that she didn't get very much signal, but she messaged me on Instagram and I was like, what, what's your plan? Like, what are you doing in Nepal? I thought she was going like on vacation. And she was like, I, she wouldn't tell me like she wouldn't say it like I'm going to climb to the summit of Mount Everest. And then when I saw that she had reached the peak, it was like that quote where it says, don't tell people your plans. Yes. Show them your results. I've learned that. And yeah. I, lo I just loved it because I'm like, this bitch is always keeping me on my toes. <laughs> I'm like, I never know where she's at. But if, as a mother and from a mom's perspective, like I do I do not want my kid ever climbing Never. Mount Everest. Have you, were you put in some sticky situations on that climb? Were you scared? I had near death experiences, yes. And you have to make a decision and you have to be at peace that if you die, you die, you know, and you, that has to be very clear in your mind. Otherwise you turn back. And I think that's why so many people give up, you know, because it's all fun and games until there is an avalanche coming for yeah. you and you don't know if you're going to make out of, make it out of it. You know, That's it's all fun and games when you you fall in a in a crevasse or you you misstep and you're hanging on the rope or when you start seeing how high you're climbing and it becomes really difficult to breathe and storm comes in and your fingers are freezing yeah. and you know you have to turn around and go back into camp because the wind is just too strong and it's literally like bouncing you off the wall that you're trying to climb. So there were a yeah. lot of situations where we had to adapt, make a different plan be really mindful of what decision we're going to make moving forward. But to me, before I started that climb, it was non-negotiable that I was going to go as far as 
I was alive, you know, like mm-hmm. as far as it was possible to go. And not if somebody told me like, oh, turn back. And, and I had to fight my way th- to the top. And the interesting thing is when you start climbing, you're, at least for me, I was with this group of very experienced climbers. I was the only person in my group that had never climbed before. And it's hilarious because you're at base camp and there's a waiting period where you're waiting for the weather window. You're waiting for the team that is the fixing team. They're responsible for fixing the lines all the way to the summit so then people can start climbing. We had a lot of issues with that. And it's important to mention that this was the deadliest season on Everest history on the 102 years of climbing in the mountain. So I saw a lot of dead bodies in the mountain <gasps> that were, you know, I was at camp too. And then you just hear that this guy just died at camp too. So yeah. you're going through this whole, you know, roller coaster of emotions and you have to be really set on what you're set out there to do. And you need to have a really strong mind to separate yourself from what they're going through, from what you're going through. Because when you start seeing those experienced climbers who were on their third attempt to climb Mount Everest, that have summited other 8,000 meter peaks, struggling to keep going, you cannot compare yourself to them. Yeah. Comparison is like the The thief of joy, the thief of joy for sure. And I just find it to be like such a beautiful evolution in your personal story because, you know, you've mastered your relationship with other people in terms of like keeping yourself safe and you've mastered your, I mean, you're stubborn. That's for damn sure. This is a Leo bitch we got here, (laughs) but like she's very self-assured, but here you are like you can't fuck with with the weather up in Nepal. You can't like this is mother nature. It's like you can't control, you it. Can't control it. You're there's nothing. There's no jujitsu trick that you could do that was going to save you from an avalanche. But I think just like it sounds like it was just you, mother nature and like finding the peace between the two of you. And you were able to just like put one foot in front of the other and and you reached the top. But were you prepared to turn around if you had to? Or were, was this a little bit of stubbornness being like, I'm going to do it because like I'm Cecily and Gracie? And- it's not stubbornness. <laughs> 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 it's more, I can do this. And whatever I have to do in order to make that happen, I'm going to do it. And the I faced so many challenges that were not even related to Mother Nature. When you're dependent on an expedition and you go through situations where the leader of the expedition sometimes is telling you, tomorrow you're going to walk back down to base camp. And you're like, no, I'm not. I'm going to keep climbing. And mm-hmm. one of them was, this day was really difficult. I started climbing. So you, you stay at base camp. You live at base camp. And then you climb through the Kumbu Icefall, which is the most dangerous part of the mountain because it's a sea of glaciers that are constantly moving. So if you fall in a crevasse, you might get, you know, smashed in there. And you, literally the floor, like the ground can just collapse 100 feet down, which happened. So we started, and you start climbing at night. So we started climbing at 1.30 in the morning. And the first thing is you stay really close to your Sherpa, who's your guide, because they have a headlamp, you have a headlamp, you cannot see anything around you but what's in front of you which is frightening. And then you look around, you're like, wow, it's completely dark. And you're on Mars or something. (laughs) How large is your group, by the way? It varies. I climbed most of the time by myself or with another friend and their Sherpa. That's it? I pictured like a group of 10 people or something. Well, there were groups that were large, but in like the higher you go in the mountain, the the more like it's you and your Sherpa. And it's so interesting because in my life, I'm always in like, technically crowded places or but I'm always by myself Mm -hmm. you know even when I went to Yosemite like everyone says the half dome thing is 
you know, I think I go in unconventional hours and I somehow find a way to make it that is a little bit more peaceful in terms of crowds. I'm not a huge lover of crowds. And even Mm -hmm. on Everest, I was by myself on the summit. It was unreal. When I arrived, there were three guys there that were leaving. And my photo in the summit, I'm alone. And everyone's photo is like with 20 Such people. Such an epic photo. How, how long did it take you start to finish from when you set up base camp? Or did it take you a minute? So to get to base yeah. camp, it's for us, it took six days because they sort of expedite yeah. our expedition. But some people take seven to 10 days to okay. get to base camp. And some people in our group didn't even make it to base camp. They developed cerebroedema and pulmonary edema before they even got there. So the base camp is already set at a height of almost 5,400 meters. I wish I was saying all of these in feet, but (laughs) (laughs) it's already super high. So some people, their bodies just collapse before they even make it. And it's a strenuous hike. You're you're walking for hours and hours and hours every day until you get there. So then when you start climbing through the Kumbu Icefall, what happened this season was they opened the season with a terrible loss where the three Sherpas responsible for fixing the lines to the summit, they were the fixing team, they died at the Kumbu Icefall before Mm -hmm. anybody started climbing. Everyone was at base camp and they are the first ones to go. And a huge huge Serac fell on their heads and they were smashed and their bodies Mm -hmm. couldn't even be recovered. So it was a super heavy season and that was the opening. And somehow in my heart, I was like, this is going to be a heavy one. You know, it's, it's really challenging. And I, I remember asking the leaders in my expedition if this was normal because we were facing so many challenges, so many delays and so many change of plans. And yeah. I asked them, is this how it usually goes or is this a particularly difficult season? And they said this is a particularly It was a month, right? Season. You were gone for a month? I was gone for 45 days. 45 wow. days, yeah. wow. Because you do a rotation and most people do two rotations. What does that mean? You climb a portion of the mountain, then you go back to base camp. Then you climb another portion of the mountain, you go a little bit higher, and then you go back to base camp, and then you go for summit that push. That seems like not the way wow. I want to do it. It's the only way to do it. Otherwise, <laughs> like, your head will explode. Oh, I know. Wow. Oh, I see for the oh. pressure. Yeah, you have to acclimatize. Mm, so you wow. climb, and they say, like, climb high and sleep low. So even, like, the, our first rotation, which is the first cycle, we went all the way to camp two, and then we were going to hike up to camp three, spend a few hours there, go back to camp to sleep and then hike, climb all the way back down. We, nobody in my group could make it to camp three because on we went halfway there. And when we got to Jumar Point, which is when you start climbing this huge steep, it's called the Lotse face. And it's this just, you know, ice wall pretty much. The wind was about 70 to 80 kilometers per hour. And it was like, it was just bouncing us off the wall. So everyone had to turn back for safety. So those wow. are calls that then you cannot be stubborn in those right. situations. Like the, the wind is throwing you. You yeah. have to turn around. But I have photos. I crossed a friend that is a photographer on that day. And he took some photos of, of me in the middle of the storm. And you, the visibility was like zero. I could barely see my Sherpa who was two steps in front wow. of me. And he took photos of me in, this mid, in the middle of this massive storm. And you can see like, how? what are you even doing there? It's just by looking at it, you see this is an inhospitable environment, you know, inhospitable environment. So wow. when you set out to go through the Kumbu Icefall, that's, you know, like a super long climb. It can be anywhere from like six hours to there are people that took 13 hours to go through. You get to Camp 1 and then you sleep at Camp 1. And then you go and you climb to Camp 2. You sleep at Camp 2. Then you touch Camp 3 and then you go all the way back down. And then some people do a second rotation. My second rotation was already going for the summit. But on my way, already beginning the climb on Kumbu Icefall, my Sherpa took a step, 
Lakpa, the minute he removed his step, when I went to set my foot, this massive crevasse just opens up. The, the ground collapsed, the ice collapsed below him. And I'm like, so he's standing on one side and I'm on the other side. And I'm thinking, how do, how do I get there now? We cannot yeah. put a ladder because, you know, there's nobody here to help us. So that was the beginning. Then we keep climbing. The sun rises. I hear this massive noise, which, mind you, you're seeing avalanches every day. You're in a valley with not only Everest, you have Lhotse, you have Nupse, you have Pumaru, like you have mm-hmm. all these huge mountains. And you're you're seeing avalanches everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're just not where you are. So you're like, okay, I'm safe, but it's still scary. You're seeing mountains collapsing yeah. and down. And then I hear this noise, which we would hear in the middle of the night. And now I'm climbing and I tell my Sherpa, I said, there's an avalanche coming. And he was like, no, it's a rockfall. It's far. And like, 15 seconds, I just look up and there's this huge avalanche coming in my face. And I just start screaming, what do I do? And he said, cover your face and go down (laughs) so you can breathe so you don't suffocate. And that feeling at that moment is like when you go down and you protect your head in case there is a rock rolling or something, you just, you don't know if you're going to make it out. Like you literally go down, you're like, you just hope for the best. I don't know if I'm going to die. I hope, you know, there's, you know, and you question every single decision that you've made in your life. And, It was crazy because I had all of these thoughts coming through my head. It was so dangerous to be there. And the weird thing is that when the avalanche was over, my, my Sherpa Lakpa removed all of the snow from me. And I stayed on the ground for 10 minutes crying. And I just couldn't find strength in my legs to get up. But at no moment did a thought ever cross my mind about turning back. And when wow. I was thinking about it, I was shocked with myself. I was like, I cannot. And the reason for that is because I made a decision in the beginning of the climb that no matter what, if I'm alive and I'm healthy, I'm going to keep pushing. So it's Mm non-negotiable for me. And the minute that he removed this, no, am I alive? Yes. Am I healthy? Yes. We're going to keep going. So it's not about how dangerous it is. It's not about what if this happens again. It's not about my fears, how I feel about it. I'm healthy. Great. I'm breathing. We're going to keep going. And if I, for one second, had allowed... Fear. my brain to consider or to negotiate with myself. But what if, you know, I already climbed all the way to camp three. What if I come back next year? What if I, there is no what if. And that's just a parallel because you don't have to go climb Mount Everest. But if you set out to do something, whatever it is, you can set out to run 5K. You can set out to say, my dream is to open my own business. You, it has to be a deal that you make with yourself that is non-negotiable. You cannot leave room for, oh, I'm going to try this thing. And if for some reason this like this new business doesn't work, like there's no for some reason, because if you give yourself that room, that some reason is going to come. I promise mm-hmm. you somewhere along the way, there's going to be something that's going to challenge you, that it's going to make you question if you're going to keep going or if you're going to move back. And if you give yourself both options, at some point, you're going to move back. You're going to quit. You're going to give up. It goes back to that all in or all out. Yeah. Look at she's already <laughs> learning things. You guys, I feel like we have to leave on that high note because yeah. we have Cecilina Grazie here. She just told us her, I mean, fantastic story of just life and most recently climbing to Mount Everest. I mean, if there's one thing that you could leave our listeners with, maybe a jujitsu principle or just something that you'd you'd want people to take away, what would it be? Posture of the champion. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about posture of the champion. Yes. Let's do the posture yeah. of the champion. Okay, we'll do it. Better than talking about it, it's embodying. And it's the pose that I held on the summit of Mount Everest. It's the pose that we begin every jiu-jitsu class, whether you're two years old, 
Yes. Ooh. Yes. Teach I'll it. Teach you explain it. it. Maybe you should teach okay, it. Okay. So yeah. there's like an invisible string tied around your heart. Yes. But put the intention on in it. So okay. please, Kristen, join us. Grab okay. an invisible string. And if you're already resistant to that, saying, oh, how silly. This is part of it. Do you resist and judge things and experiences before you even yeah, begin you saying, saying this, this is, is too silly for me? <laughs> this is stupid. This is a part of breaking down the barriers and just open your heart to a new experience. So grab an invisible string. You carry grab that with, it you with you us, everywhere. guys. Unless you're driving, then then hands on the wheel, ten and two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pull over. <laughs> yeah, pull over. <laughs> grab an invisible string, or R. Yes, and then we're gonna wrap it around our heart. Where is your heart? Over here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Put a real intention on creating that connection with you. And there are psychological studies, actually. There are psychology studies that show that when you touch your heart, there is a response. There is a signal Ooh. that goes to your brain. Yes. Love that. So make the intention of connecting with your heart, whatever it is. If you don't want to hold the string, just touch your heart and bring positive energy to it. But create that connection. Make sure it's there. Tight. It's tight. Aurora, mm-hmm. you're my assistant instructor oh, today. And then we lift it up. You lift it up, but really pull pull your arm to the sky. When you see a champion on top of the podium, they're like, yes. Yeah. They're not, oh, thank you. There's no question. They're like, yes, I deserve to be here. You don't need to get to the top of the podium just by holding this pose for a few seconds, feeling your feet on the ground, feeling your presence, embodying your presence, the strength of your presence, not making yourself small, not shrinking yourself as you go through the world. And then when you let go of that posture, you already change how you present yourself to the Woo. world. So that's that's my gift and my Yay. message from today. Use the posture of the champion all the time, everywhere. And you can use it in the bathroom if you're not going to do it in front of other people. But you're about to be interviewed by beautiful hosts or you're going to a podcast or you're going to an interview or you're going to do a presentation or you're going to have a difficult conversation with your partner. Take the posture of the champion. I love it. Love it. Thank you Woo. so much for being here with and, us. And check out her new show. It's where can they find it? It's August 7th. Better Up Elevate. Okay. Yep. August 7th. You can find her at Cecilina Gracie on Instagram as well. Yes. And Cecilina.com. We have a Women in Power event coming up on Ooh. September 3rd. I've been to one of those. Actually, that's so weird. It popped up in my inbox last night, like the my receipt from that. And it was amazing. It, if anybody wants to just learn more about these principles and also learn some like real tangible self-defense tools, you've got to check this out. And yeah. where do they find that? CecilinaGracie.com? Cecilina.com. Cecilina.com. She's got the first name one. Ooh, okay. Somebody bought it. Cecilina Gracie give and they won't back. give it to me. Give it back. Oh. <laughs> if you're listening to this, help me. <laughs> Thank okay. you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.